Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA as we dig into the Word of God. Let's stand and read from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the treasure with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors.
gathered here this morning to participate in a memorial that is as old as Christianity itself. I referred to it as a memorial because initially it was a memorial. We are not Catholic. We don't believe in transubstantiation. We don't believe that the blood and flesh of Christ literally becomes the substance of the bread and wine that we're going to consume this morning. I grew up Lutheran, where I was taught consubstantiation, the idea that Christ was indeed present in the body and wine in a spiritual sense, but still there was an actual presence. I agree with Zwingli, who argued with the other reformers and said that this was a memorial, a remembrance of what Christ actually did. This is one of only two ordinances that Jesus left for his church. He left us baptism and what is commonly called by the nickname communion. Of course, nobody in the Bible ever referred to it as communion. Paul used the word koinonia. It was translated communion, and we just call it that now. Sometimes it's referred to as the Lord's Supper because on one occasion Paul said in chastising the church at Corinth for how badly they were doing this, he said it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, and so people refer to it as the Lord's Supper. But the name of it from the very beginning was Passover, and that's where we're going to begin this morning. We're going to take a look at the history of Passover and then look at Christ and his disciples observing Passover. And we're going to see how Jesus took that commemoration and never said, stop doing it. Instead, he changed the focus of it from the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt to himself and the deliverance that he was going to provide for all of us. So we're going to start this morning in Exodus 12. Turn there. Exodus 12, we're going to start reading right at verse 1. This is the establishment of Passover. As you know, as we talked about last week, as we were talking about the various different covenants in the Bible... God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham that included the land promise and also included that he was going to have descendants like the sands of the seas, like the stars of the heavens. Abraham didn't have any children at the moment that God made him that promise. And so he asked God, how do I know that these promises are actually going to be mine? And in replying to Abram's question, God told him the next couple hundred years of human history there in the Middle East and said, your descendants are going to go into a land where they're not known. They're going to serve there as slaves. They're going to come out with greater substance than they went in. And then, of course, once God brought through Joseph, brought all 12 tribes of Israel into Egypt, there then rose up a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, who didn't remember the history of what Joseph had done, and so he did enslave the Israelites. And they did, in fact, serve there for 400 years, just like God said, because God got really lucky. That was meant to be a joke, 
And apparently, no one thought I was joking. So. Or they didn't think it was funny. My critic in the front row. So after 400 years, God raised up Moses and then brought the children of Israel out of Egypt after a series of plagues that culminated in the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. However, God told Moses to tell the Israelites that there was something they could do to avoid the death angel that night that was going to pass through all of Egypt, killing all the firstborn. And that's the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1 of the book of Exodus. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all who are of the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of the persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, and you will take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood from that lamb and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they are eating." And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roast it with fire, both its heads and its legs, with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. And whatever is left of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. And you shall eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh, and the blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this day will be a memorial for you, says verse 14, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And so when God established the Passover, it was established in blood. There were sacrificial lambs, and they had to kill the lamb and take the blood of that lamb, put it on the doorpost, on the lentil of the door, and when the death angel passed through Egypt, if he saw the blood of the sacrifice on the door, then the people inside that house would be preserved. Meanwhile, that night... There was the death of all the firstborn within Egypt. Now, 
That event we're all familiar with. If you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments, you're familiar with that. Even non-church-going people are familiar with that story. So let me ask you, how many times did that happen? Once. It happened exactly once in all of human history. But then God said that the Israelites were to continue to memorialize that moment over and over again every year at the exact same time. Every year on the 14th day of the first month of their year, which is based on the lunar calendar, which is why at this very moment, right now, Passover began this last Wednesday, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is continuing to this very day. It'll be over in the middle of next week. Look down then at Exodus 12, starting at verse 40. Verse 40 says, Now the time of the sons of Israel that they lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came about at the end of 430 years to the very day that all of the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord For having brought them out from the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it, but every man's slave purchased with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. Do you remember last week what I told you the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was? Circumcision. Circumcision. So in order to participate in the Passover, you had to have the sign of the covenant. If you were within covenant with God and you had the sign of the covenant on you, then you could participate in the Passover meal. So it is an exclusive thing that God is setting up here. It is for particular people, the people that he is saving, the people that he is delivering. Verse 45 says, a sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside your house nor are you to break any bone of it. And all the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. By the way, did God say that any of the Egyptians were supposed to celebrate it? No. No. This is what I'm talking about, it being an exclusive thing, particularly for the people that God had chosen, the people who had the covenant sign. But if a stranger is sojourning with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let them come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. And the same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. And then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And it came about on that same day that the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Okay. So, 
what we know so far is Passover is exclusive to those people who are in covenant with God, and Passover is to be kept as a perpetual ordinance among those people who are in covenant with God, and it is supposed to happen on a particular day every year. It happens on the Passover, the 14th day of the first month, the month of Abib. That's what we know so far. Turn over now to the book of Matthew, now that we know what the Passover is. Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and we're going to start reading the first five verses, and then we're going to jump forward. It came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man is to be delivered up. Okay, so Jesus, 1,400 years later, says to his disciples, you know that this is the time of the Passover. So we know what time of year that was. We know it was in the spring. We know what month it was. We know what day of the month it was. Jesus said in two days, then the Passover is going to be upon us. And so we're going to participate in this thing that Israel has been doing continually for 1,400 years. Verse 3 tells us, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, Not during the festival. They're talking about the Feast of Passover not during the Passover, lest a riot occur among the people. When Jesus walked on the stage of his ministry, when he had just begun to be 30 years old, John the Baptist saw him by the river and said to him, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. At that moment, John the Baptist was identifying him as the Passover Lamb. He is going to be the ultimate Passover lamb. Now Jesus declares, it is the Passover in two days, and I'm going to be crucified. And then the leaders in Israel meet together and say, the one day we don't want to kill him is on the Passover. Because if we kill him on the Passover, there will be a riot. So the leaders in Jerusalem are determined not to kill him on the Passover. And God's word says, he's the Passover lamb who has to die on the Passover. Guess what day he died? Right on the Passover, because God is absolutely sovereign, and Jesus was working according to God's calendar, and in order to be the Passover lamb, he had to die on the day of Passover. He had to complete that type and that shadow that the Israelites had been maintaining for 1,400 years. Now we're going to start reading Again in Matthew 26, but we're going to start reading at verse 20. Because I want you to see what I said earlier, which is Jesus, being a thoroughgoing Jew, did not say, all right, now you sons of Abraham, all you covenant people who have the covenant sign, now that I'm here, you can stop doing the Passover. He didn't say that. Instead, what he did was he said, keep doing it, but he changed their focus. For 1,400 years, they had been remembering the deliverance out of Egypt. They had been remembering how God had passed over them, had preserved them, had killed all the firstborn in Egypt, and had delivered them 
sending them to their promised inheritance, the very inheritance that he had given to Abraham as an eternal covenant. So this whole Passover thing is part of God's covenantal promises as he is delivering his people from their sin, from his wrath, delivering them out of their bondage, delivering them into all the promises that he has given them. Starting in verse 20, we read, Now when evening had come, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said to them, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. By the way, was there any chance that one of them wasn't going to betray him? I mean, was there any chance that Judas was going to wake up that day and go, Ah, never mind. I thought it through. Not going to do it. No, Jesus calls him the son of perdition from the beginning. All I'm trying to prove is that sovereign God had absolutely everything in place in order to accomplish what God had already determined to do, what God had prefigured 1,400 years earlier, what God had determined when he had the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God had the fail-safe in place and already promised it to his people before he ever made the first person. So was there any possibility that when it was time for Jesus to die on the cross, that there wasn't going to be somebody to betray him? There was no possibility of that. God is in the details. God is making sure that everything that he foreshadowed took place exactly on time. So much so, by the way, And it's in my notes, but for sake of time, I'm just trying to race forward. But if you understand the feasts, the seven feasts that Israel kept every year, it's even more astounding, this whole Passover connection, because Passover was a single day on the 14th. The next day, the 15th, began unleavened bread. That was a week-long feast, and there was a high day the first day of unleavened bread and a high day the last day of unleavened bread. And it didn't matter what day of the week Passover fell on, as long as it fell on the 14th. And it didn't matter what day of the week unleavened bread began, as long as it began on the 15th. But then somewhere in that seven days, there's going to be a first day of the week. There's going to be a Sunday somewhere in that week. And that day was designated as the Feast of First Fruits. And that was always on the first day of the week following the Passover and the unleavened bread. And then after that day, you counted 50 days, and that was the Feast of Pentecost. That's where that penta, 50, is right in the word. So 50 days later is the Feast of Pentecost. Jesus died on the Passover. He had to die on the Passover The reason that Joseph of Arimathea was in such a hurry to get his body down out of the cross is because, as we read, the high day was coming. The Sabbath, the high Sabbath was coming. That was the beginning of unleavened bread. And nobody could do any servile work on that day. And so they had to get the body of Jesus down off the cross and get him into the tomb before the sun went down because that was the beginning of the next day. In other words, Jesus died on Passover and he was entombed right at the beginning of unleavened bread. And then there was a first day, a Sunday. And when that Sunday came around, the feast of first fruits occurred and Jesus got up out of the grave perfectly fulfilling all three of those feasts. Fifty days later, 
on the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, perfectly fulfilling the promise of the Father that the Holy Spirit was going to come once Jesus had ascended to heaven. So Jesus, having made a perfect sacrifice and returning to his Father, then sends the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to us. All I want you to see is there's a lot more than just Passover here. Jesus perfectly fulfilled Passover. He perfectly fulfilled unleavened bread. He perfectly fulfilled the Feast of First Fruits, which is why Paul calls him the first fruit of the resurrection. And he perfectly fulfilled the Pentecost. And he did it all exactly on time because our God is a God of details. You got all that? That was just free. I just threw that in extra today. So when evening had come, Jesus was reclining at the table with his 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he said to them, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they said to one another, surely it's not I, Lord. And he answered and he said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who's going to betray me. And the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good if that man had never been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said to him, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. And while they were eating... Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, this almost seems fundamental, but I have to point out that Jesus' flesh was still on his bones when he said, this is my body. This is the same Jesus who said things like, I am the door. Nobody thinks that when he said that, he meant, I'm literally a door. I'm made of wood and I have hinges. No, we understand that it was a figure of speech where Jesus was saying, I'm the way to get to God. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the door of the sheep. Exact same way that Jesus said, this is my body. He was saying symbolically, this represents my body. Right behind that, verse 27, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when the original covenant was established, when the law covenant was established back at Mount Sinai, there was blood, there were sacrifices. And Israel for 1,400 years had to keep those sacrifices. Sacrifice for sin, sacrifice for atonement, sacrifice for thanksgiving. They had to continue to do that over and over again. And that was referred to as the blood of the covenant. Jesus, forming the new covenant, says that his own blood is also the blood of the covenant. Which is why the writer of Hebrews would tell us, that the new covenant is established with better blood than any covenant that went before, certainly before the law covenant. So Jesus declared at this supper, at this Passover, he declared, drink from it all of you because this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine 
from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there is also a forward-looking aspect to this Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. This Passover that he said with great longing, I have longed to keep this Passover with you. And then told them he was going to die and told them, in three days I'll be up again. In three days I'll come and meet you again in Galilee. I'm only going to be gone for three days. Which to me makes me think that when he rose on that Sunday morning, there should have been 11 guys standing out there going, yep, we knew you'd be back. And instead, they all scattered, they all ran, they all protected their own flesh, they didn't want to be affiliated with him. When he rose, he rose by himself, by his own power, by the power of God, and that is what this Resurrection Sunday is all about. It is about the bare fundamentals of what we call the gospel, the euangelion. It is about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can't have resurrection without death. And so we are memorializing the death of Jesus. You can't have resurrection without death. And so he did die. And he was put in a grave. And he was there for three days. And then there was the resurrection. The single most important event that ever happened in human history. The thing that at one moment was the worst and the best thing to ever happen The resurrection of Christ is the surety, is the guarantee that you and I are okay with God because our advocate ever lives to make intercession for us. Okay, so turn to the book of Luke. Just trying to give you a feel for this connection to Passover. Turn to the book of Luke. We're going to go to the second chapter. Actually, we're going to go to the 22nd chapter. In the second chapter, that's where Jesus and his parents got separated. They had gone up to Jerusalem for the feast. Do you remember what feast they went up there for? Passover. Because they were thoroughgoing Jews who every year would keep the Passover up at Jerusalem. Okay, so Luke 22, we're going to start reading at verse 1. This is Luke's account of what I just read for you out of Matthew, pay attention to the details. Because Jesus is now going to define exactly who participates in this memorial that he is establishing. And once again, it is those people who are in covenant with God who have the sign of the covenant. And what is the sign of the new covenant? It's the Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit indwelling his people bring them into the new covenant. And so new covenant believers gather together regularly in order to memorialize this moment. Chapter 22, verse 1 of the book of Luke. Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death. For they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and he discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and they agreed and they gave him money. And he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the multitude. 
And then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? He said, behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you will say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is your guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare the Passover there. And they departed, and they found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. They found everything just like he had told Wasn't that lucky? Oh, it's funny this time. Oh, okay. Because God is in the details. Jesus knew exactly what was going to occur. There had to be a place for him to keep the Passover with his disciples so that exactly on time, when the lambs were being sacrificed in the temple, he would be hanging on the cross so that he would be the perfect fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Verse 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at his table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, now we have to talk a little bit about the Passover meal, the Seder. During the meal, there were a series of cups of wine, and there was a series of breads. To this very day, the tradition among the Jews is to set aside a little bit of the flat bread until after dinner. And the very last cup of wine in that series of cups of wine is known as the cup of blessing. His apostles would have been familiar with this. And so when he took that final bread and when he took that final cup, they were expecting him to speak a blessing over them and to draw their memory back to their delivery out of Egypt because that's the way it had been memorialized for 1,400 years. And Jesus did something remarkable. He just told them, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He keeps telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'll be back in three days. They didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. Here at this final Passover with them, he even says, I've desired to keep this with you before I suffer. So what was this great desire? Why did he have this desire to keep this Passover with them? I think it's because he was about to change their focus away from the deliverance in Egypt and focus on himself. When he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They weren't surprised by the bread. They weren't surprised by the wine. That was something they'd been doing for 1,400 years. They were surprised by when you do this memorial, when you are remembering 
This isn't anymore about remembering your deliverance out of Egypt. Now, remember me. He didn't say stop doing it. He said continue doing it and continue remembering, but remember me. Remember what I do this very night for you. I won't drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. But this, this bread, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten. That's that final cup of blessing saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Last week, that's why we spent so much time emphasizing the new covenant in preparation for this week so that we would understand the succession of covenants in the Bible and why the new covenant is so important because the new covenant is established on better blood, on better promises, on a better covenant agreement between us and God because the first covenant, the old covenant, the dying away covenant was based on 10 commandments, 613 ordinances. You had to do all of it. And if you missed any one of them, you were guilty of the entirety of the law. And yet Jesus says, here's a covenant that is salvation by grace through faith, completely different, qualitatively different than the old covenant, different than the law. And it is established in my blood. And so I am leaving you this memorial. This used to be a memorial to the covenant that God made with you when he brought you out of Egypt. Now it's about the covenant that I am making with you as I die, as your Passover sacrificial lamb. I am establishing this covenant. Therefore, keep doing it. Because it is a forever deal. It's a forever covenant. God said, keep doing it through all your generations. All he changed was the focus. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one who is betraying me is at the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then naturally they begin to discuss it amongst themselves. So are you getting the connection? I hope I have driven the connection enough that you're understanding that Passover was the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. God established it, told them what day to do it, what month to do it, how to do it. They had to do it with their staff in hand, fully clothed, sandals on their feet, getting ready to move. Because that night they were delivered. That night they were traveling. That night they were leaving Egypt. And so God was very specific with his details. This is how you do the Passover. They did it that way for 1,400 years Jesus sits down with his apostles and says, with great longing, I have longed to keep this Passover with you because he knew that on that Passover, he was going to become the Passover lamb. Therefore, with great desire, he desired to eat it with them before he suffered. And then he said, now take this bread, now take this wine and remember me. It is a memorial. It is a remembrance of the finished work of Christ. 
turn to the book of 1 Corinthians for a moment. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5. We'll start there. Because then the church of Jesus Christ, those people who are in the new covenant, continued to keep this feast, this memorial. In the early days of the church, there was no controversy about when you did this. In the early days of the church, they just continued to follow what Jesus said. You do it on Passover. And the same way that you all agreed that the deliverance out of Egypt happened once, and then they remembered it for 1,400 years, the death of Jesus happened exactly once, and now we remember it every year at the same time that it happened. And that is the way that it is established in the Bible. So many traditions have been imposed onto this communion supper, this Lord's Supper, this Eucharist, as the Catholics would call it. So many traditions have been imposed onto this very simple thing. What it actually is, is a sharing of the bread and the wine in remembrance of what Jesus Christ actually accomplished. That's what Jesus said to do, and we as his people who are in covenant with God through him, who have the covenant sign of the Holy Spirit, we are the people who continue to do exactly what he said to do. And part of the experiment of GCA through all these years has been to strip away all of the trappings of religion and get back to what does the Bible say. And the Bible is very precise in saying, when we do this, how we do this, why we do this. Well, the church in Corinth decided to add some stuff. And so Paul had to correct them for the fact that they were doing it so badly. This is one of the few places in the Bible where you read that God killed people. And he said he was killing them because they did it so wrong. Which means God is really serious about this. Seems to me that a smart person would pay attention to the fact that God kills people for doing this wrong and try to do it right. But as church has become less and less serious in the world, they have established all kinds of traditions that sure enough made void the word of God. Now this first thing we're going to read is just 1 Corinthians 5.7. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10 in a minute. 1 Corinthians 5.7 is going to establish that what Paul is discussing here is not only what we call the communion, but it was at Passover because he uses Passover language. 1 Corinthians 5.7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. When was it necessary for Israel to clear out all their leaven out of their camp? At Passover and the unleavened bread. He's making reference even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He's making Passover references in the context of talking about how the Corinthians were doing this communion supper so wrong. So again, the early church continued that Passover timing as they remembered the finished work of Jesus. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. He's using Passover language to talk about this communal remembrance that we're participating in this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10. 
Paul is talking against idol worship and the following after demons in their worship. In chapter 10, in correcting them, he refers to a particular cup of remembrance that we have kind of lost the sense of what this phrase means, but every Jew and every first century Christian knew what the cup of blessing was. The cup of blessing was the cup that you drank at the Passover supper. And so Paul, in correcting them in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the koinonia of the blood of Christ? He just connected the Passover cup of blessing with the communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the koinonia of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That's the King James Version rendering of it. The NASB puts it this way, starting in verse 14. So that you understand the context of Paul's words, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing, a koinonia, in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we, who are many, are one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? I'm glad that Paul decided to clarify. What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he is, are we? So look what Paul just did. The cup of blessing. The table of the Lord which he connected to Passover and the timing of unleavened bread. But he also said it's exclusive. Only people who are in covenant with Jesus, who have the covenant sign, can participate in this memorial. And if you are also saying that you are remembering the finished work of Jesus Christ, and at the same time you're participating in some other form of worship somewhere else, then Paul says, you are drinking the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. And you can't do both. It's one or the other. You're either utterly sold out to Jesus Christ and you are remembering him in this memorial or don't do it because God kills people for doing it so wrong. Want to see that? Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to start reading at verse 17. Paul has some harsh words for the church at Corinth for how they were doing this so very wrongly. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. But in this instruction, I do not praise you. 
Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That's the only place in the Bible where you see the phrase, the Lord's Supper. I don't think at that moment that Paul was putting that nickname on this memorial. I think he was saying, you're eating your own supper, because he's about to contrast it. You get together and you eat your own supper, and you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You're not doing it the way the Lord would do it. But that has now become a nickname for this memorial. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Look at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you are dead. But if we judge ourselves rightly, then we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the rest of the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I'll take care of when I get there. Apparently, there were a lot of problems at the church in Corinth. So, Paul used very strong language to correct how wrongly the church at Corinth was participating in this memorial supper. And he said that God had judged and killed and made people sick for doing it so wrongly. In other words, this is serious stuff. Now, we're asked every year whether or not we practice open or closed communion. Let me tell you what those two terms mean. I grew up in the Lutheran church. We practiced closed communion. If you weren't baptized within the Lutheran church, then you weren't welcome to come participate in the Lord's Supper. We don't have that rule because since it's not called the GCA Supper, I don't think we have that jurisdiction. This is the Lord's Supper. This is communion with him. This is sharing amongst ourselves in memorializing what Jesus did for us. And if you have the sign of the covenant, the Holy Spirit within you, then you are welcome to participate with us. But just remember the warning here. The warning is whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. So let's talk about that for just a moment because I grew up in the church where before we did the communion every year, well, twice a month, they would say, examine yourself to determine whether you're worthy because they would read the King James, examine yourself, whoever participates unworthily. And they would say, check yourself to see if you're worthy. Let me save you the time. You're not. You're not worthy. That's the point. That's why we have a Savior. That's why Jesus came. Because of unworthy people like us. Notice what Paul said. The word is unworthily. It is an adverb. It modifies the action, not the actor. Paul didn't say, get busy and make yourself good enough to do this. He said, make sure you do it in a worthy manner. Make sure that the way you are doing it is worthily, which is why the NASB translates it as in an unworthy manner. And then he tells you what the unworthy manner would look like. It is not discerning the body and the blood of Christ. So if you are participating and you are not thinking about the finished work of Jesus and you're busy balancing your checkbook in your head or you're busy worrying about what you've got to do this afternoon, or if you're busy worrying about anything else, thinking about anything other than Jesus Christ, then you are not properly discerning the body and blood of Christ, and that's how you participate unworthily. You get it? In other words, hi, unworthy sinners. How are you this morning? Come and join us in the memorial of what our Lord and Savior did for wretched sinners like us. And if you have the Holy Spirit and if you are trusting Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to join us this morning in this memorial. Now, the deacons are going to hand out wine and bread. Yes, we use real wine. There is also grape juice because we realize that there are some kids in the room who may want to participate. They can have grape juice if their parents are comfortable with them participating. Also, every so often we get somebody in the group who's in a 12-step program somewhere, and they're afraid that that first drink is going to tip them over the edge, and they're going to become alcoholics yet again. So if that's what you're worried about, then you're not focusing on the body and blood of Christ. So don't do it. Take some grape juice. Make it easy on yourself. The bread that we're going to pass around is not a little wafer, and it's not a little tiny cracker that gets stuck in your teeth. Jesus used a loaf of bread, flat bread, unleavened bread, bread that cracked when you broke it. And he broke it, and he said, take this, each of you, and they each cracked it. They each broke it, and with each of them breaking it, they were remembering that he had said, this is my body, which is given for you. So we use flatbread, and it's going to be passed around by the deacons. And when it's in front of you, take a moment and think about what Jesus did for you. Crack that body. Have that visceral moment of understanding what Jesus actually did for you. Don't worry about what he did for anybody else. Don't worry about if somebody around you is or isn't whatever. You Think about what Jesus did for you. And if you can see in him your complete and utter Savior, 
who perfectly accomplished your salvation and you're grateful for the doing of it, then crack that bread with your own hands and then hold on to it and we will all participate together. So, the deacons are going to pass around bread and wine. Eric is going to play a little bit of music and then we will all participate together, deacons if you would. juice is on the inner ring of seven cups. The two outer rings are wine. Just to let you know, I don't think we'll run out of grape juice in this room, but if we do in that room,
Micah and Tom, if you would, come up here. Micah is going to pray and thank God for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Tom behind him is going to thank God for the shed blood of Jesus. Father, now help us to remember, help us to honor the body that was sacrificed, Christ Jesus, who when he was approaching his appointed time, just thinking about what was to happen to him, caused his sweat to turn into great drops of blood. So as we think about this body that was marred, punched, pierced, scourged, nailed, disfigured, that it was done so for a very personal and close reason because of us, because of our sin. The wrath of God came upon him. It should have been upon us, but it came to him. Thank you for the body. Thank you for the sacrifice. Help us to remember the great price that was paid by your body, that it was given for us. Amen. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We thank you, Father, for what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We acknowledge this wine as symbolic of the shed blood of Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice so great that it could pay for our sins. All the sacrifices of animals were not nearly enough to offer a permanent sacrifice, but the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is that sacrifice, and his blood shed on the cross pays for our sins, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We will continue doing this until he comes. That is our part of the communion agreement. That we will keep doing it in anticipation of his return. 
His part is, he's told us, I won't do it until I do it new with you in the kingdom. He's waiting for us. We're all going to be gathered together, and someday we will all feast together with our Lord. And what a mighty happy day that will be. Because not only did he die, and not only was he laid in the tomb, but our Lord and Savior got up again. And that is the sure guarantee that when you leave this planet, you're going to be okay. It's all about him. It can't be about anything or anyone else. He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor forever. And this is just our small part of remembering what he has done and what he's going to do. I look forward to that day. I hope you do too. Musicians.
If you'll stand, we'll dismiss with prayer, and we'll make our way uh, to the back to eat. Praise your name, Holy Father God. We thank you so much for this opportunity to gather this morning to memorialize, to remember the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed so that we may be a part of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, that we no longer have to worry uh, about any more sacrifices needed to satisfy the wrath of God. He is well pleased with the finished work of his son, Christ Jesus. And so it is with great joy that we can praise your name and to look upon our Savior and to say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your grace. You are a God unlike any other who bestows mercy and dispenses grace where it is unexpected. And yet you do this for your name's sake so that you will be high and lifted up. And so we pray that that was the case today, that you would be honored, that your name would be exalted above all. And then our fellowship over the next uh, few hours, that you would be the subject of that fellowship. You would be the purpose and the intention for it. We thank you for the food that you've given to us. We ask that you would bless the hands that prepared it. We do pray that uh, you would be with those who traveled a long distance to be here, give them safe passage, return them back to their homes and to their families. We thank you that you've given us this time of year, that you've set it aside for this purpose, Lord. We thank you so much for the, the grace and the blood that was shed. So we pray as we go out into a new week, we would be renewed in our minds by the truth of the new covenant. And that if we have any opportunity, that we can be quick to give an answer to anyone for the hope that lies within us, that hope being Christ Jesus and he alone. So now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.